LinkedIn, the professional networking site, completed a survey that showed the majority of people make a career shift because they were concerned with the lack of advancement opportunities within their place of work. Followed closely to this concern were things like poor leadership of senior management, work environment or culture, lack of challenge, compensation and rewards and recognition. Most who experience these shifting reasons are able to regroup, refocus, and move on with a new opportunity. For many, however, their reasons for leaving a career are not found on a top 10 list. Life itself is unpredictable. Even the happiest and strongest of us can often find ourselves seeking a fresh start at an unexpected moment. For me, that took place in the spring of 2006, a moment that's going to be frozen in time for me forever. I had prepared for a career in teaching, graduated with a degree in education, and was ready to set the world ablaze as a gold apple winning, ultra creative, change the world teacher. College had prepared me for feeling successful in the teaching profession, but I didn't pay attention to its teaching on how to be successful. Constant mistakes, missteps, and misjudgments soon put me in a position where I needed to say goodbye to the teaching profession and to be forever labeled, even if it was just self-glossing, as a failure. What I chose to do next would shape the rest of my life and would bring me to this discussion with our guest, whom I love and cherish. I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to an individual who has shaped who I am and continue to be as a professional, who has had his own moment where change became inevitable and necessary. So with that, welcome to Facing Tomorrow, Danny Beyer. Thank you so much, Justin. Delighted to be here. Love you too, man. And I echo the sentiment about shaped who I've become today. So it's an honor to be a guest. Thank you. Thank you. Danny, can you talk to us a little bit about the moment that is frozen in time for you? What was that moment and how has it shaped who you are? The most recent moment in time for me was spring break of 2018. I was actually over in France with my wife on a study abroad trip through Iowa State University. Had recently gone through an acquisition of the company that I had worked for for the better part of nine years, Cable Business Services. They had been acquired by a larger competitor. I was part of the executive team. Was actually really looking forward to working with the new owners, Han Camp Kruger, had gone to Dubuque where they're based out of multiple times prior to this trip, uh, but there had been a nagging in the back of my mind that things were not going to go the way that they had been promised, that culture was in fact going to change, that things within the company were going to be way outside of my control. And so spring break, uh, we were in our hotel room. I was working on a deal that I had been working on for the better part of six years and had gotten it to the finish line uh, when I found out that they were going with another competitor due to some processes, some procedures that the acquiring firm had put in place. Now, it might sound silly that I made the decision to leave an industry, leave a profession that I had been ingrained in for nine years off of one client telling me no, but that was my boiling point. That was the point at which so many little things all came to the surface, so many little things that were nagging in the back of my mind came out and the decision was made at that point that I could no longer be a part of this company and be a part of an industry that I had grew passionate about over those previous nine years. 
What was the conversation like with your wife in France when you came to that realization? The same as it was the previous time that this has happened to me. Um, (laughs) Another moment that's that's frozen in time for me was actually Thanksgiving, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday of 2006. I had worked at Hy-Vee for 10 years at that point in time and was on the path to become a store director, had worked upwards of 80 plus hours that week and Hy-Vee is actually closed for a day. Uh, Went to her family's Thanksgiving after I got off work Thanksgiving Eve, uh, had Thanksgiving supper, went to uh, Hy-Vee Black Friday morning and had to be there at 4 a.m. So I spent all of about four hours awake with my newlywed wife the first Thanksgiving together uh, as happy families were coming in to get their donuts prior to going Black Friday shopping. I vowed then and there that I would not be on the retail side of the donut counter the next year and went home to my wife that night and told her I was going to be quitting my job without having another job lined up. Um, She cried. She hugged me and she said, okay, we're going to get through this. Um, And that moment, along with the moment in France when I came out of uh, our hotel room in tears, she knew what was coming. Um, Thankfully, this time I did have something lined up that I could turn to. Uh, But it was honestly her support and her caring that made both of those transitions professionally so much easier. We must be thankful for the people that we have around us that we can trust and value. Um, when, When you returned from France, what was the conversation like with your the management team at your current employer and uh, particularly those around you when you had you had made this decision as well and you had publicly announced that this was a decision you were making mm-hmm. that's to the the article you read to the LinkedIn information it's right on a bad manager is one of the first things people will attribute leaving a profession to. Um, the conversation that I had with my coworkers is one of the hardest that I have still had to this day because, you know, as you spend 40 hours a week with these people for nine plus years, uh, you're spending more time with them than you are with your actual biological family, the people you choose to spend time with. And so sitting down with the two other executive team leads and letting them know, hey, I was giving notice later on that afternoon, uh, we all cried we all hugged. Uh, They were actually incredibly supportive once they got over being angry, of course. Um, Seven stages of grief or however many (laughs) those those are. Uh, But the call with my uh, direct boss was actually one that was, uh, I cemented the decision in my mind because when I called her, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do it face-to-face because she was in Dubuque and it was the middle of winter in Iowa. Um, I let her know that I was giving a six-week notice, uh, that I would do as many standard operating procedures, SOPs, get as much as my, of my brain on paper as I could, uh, but that I was gone in six weeks. She told me that she never saw this coming, that I was incredibly disappointing. Um, and looking back was just an easier way for me to walk out that door at the end. The amount of work that you had put in at that employer, though, 
to have that sort of response uh, what did it what did it do to you emotionally for the next several weeks you mentioned six weeks you gave uh, what did it do to you for those six weeks that you were continuing to work having had that conversation I, I did still give it up my all the first two weeks I wanted to make sure obviously these people that I loved and that I worked with were taken care of in the best of my ability, that they were set up for success once I walked out those doors. Then I got cut out of communications, I got cut out of meetings, and it became harder and harder for me to care beyond just for the direct coworkers that I had in the office. Um, they all encouraged me to stay through the six weeks had they not encouraged me, I probably would have left sooner, but um, they continued to have questions, they continued to have projects, they continued to need advice on things, and so I did stick around for them more than anyone else. You had mentioned that you had something lined up, but that thing that you had lined up, was it similar to the job that you were, you were working? Were there any anxieties or fears in the leap that you were making between this steady, 40-ish hours a week to what you were moving into next? Yes, that's <laughs> the best loaded question <laughs> I could have hoped for. Um, so one of the things that I preach about when I'm talking to college students, when I'm talking to young professionals, when I'm talking to people in various stages of their career life is that making a move is always going to be scary. You're always going to have anxiety. You're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to have something is going to creep up in the back of your mind. But you have to remember why you're making the move. Um, and it is okay to quit a job without something lined up that you're going to. It is okay to completely change professions. It is okay to go back to school if that's what's needed. Because in the end, your own happiness, sanity, family are so much more important than that steady paycheck that drives you crazy or destroys your mental health. And so throughout uh, those six weeks, I was changing from being in payroll and HR outsourcing business development sales to becoming a financial advisor with Iron Horse Wealth Management. Um, that's a whole other side story we can go down if you want to on networking and relationships. But Dennis Markway, the founder, had told me in order to be an advisor, I had to get my Series 65 license. And so part of that six-week transition was studying for that test to date one of the hardest tests I have ever taken in my life. Um, passed that test, and we had agreed that it, we would give each other two years, a two-year shot where if I could make it as a financial advisor in two years, the success would be there to continue in the profession. If I could not make it, if it turned out it was not in my wheelhouse to do this job, then we would part as friends and understand that I would go on to something bigger and better. It's a excuse me. It is a terrifying transition to go from something you know, something you're good at, something that you've built, something that you've created over the course of a nine-year career to starting completely over. Uh, found out in that moment how much of my identity was in my job, mm. which I think is a trait of most men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and to go from being needed, from being wanted, to having emails, to having fires, to having requests, to nothing 
over the course of six months when I started this profession was nerve-wracking, anxiety-driving, terrifying. And to your, your wife, what was her advice to you or, or what was her encouragement to you seeing that you were going from that nine-year steady, knowing it, to two years on a hope and a prayer? What, what, was, what, was, that, what was that like in your conversations with her post-France when you got back and you were starting to work through that transition? If I could give everybody one gift and have them be in the type of relationship I am with my spouse, this world would be a much better place overall. Um, Casey's advice and Casey's support was unrelenting. Uh, Anytime I was feeling down, anytime I was feeling nervous, she would just look at me and say, Danny, you've done this before. It's going to be okay. Danny, don't worry about money. Don't worry about us as a family. We're going to be okay. We have reserves. We can do things. We were in a good spot. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that and and say that I was starting over with zero dollars in my bank account and that um, the world was going to come crashing down on our shoulders if I wasn't successful. Uh, But her love and her compassion and her sweetness made this so much easier to go to work every day and come home every night. Life would be a lot better. It would be a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in, In your blog, Danny, titled A Single Conversation, you mentioned a conversation that changed the course of your entire life. Share with us a little bit about that conversation and why it was so important, why it was so pivotal to you. So made the job transition uh, spring 2018. Like I said, two-year time frame. Um, started in the profession. My kids are healthy. My wife is healthy. Our relationship is the best it's been in the, at that point, 14-ish years we had been married. Spiritually, I'm in a good place. Physically, I'm in a good place. Professionally, business is starting to take off to the point that fast forward to the fall of 2019, I had brought on enough business, checked enough boxes that I had been offered the opportunity to become a partner at Iron Horse in January of 2020. Everything's great, Justin, everything. And I wake up every morning with a pit in my stomach with anxiety that I can't seem to shake when there should be no need for any anxiety. Everything is wonderful. I sat down to lunch with a uh, client, a friend, used to be a competitor of mine, and we're over at Urban Grill in Urbandale, just having salads, talking about life, and I mentioned exactly what I just said to you. Everything's great, and yet I can't get over this unending anxiety that something bad is about to happen. Uh, He smiled and leaned over and said, I know where you are, I've been there, and took out his phone to share the contact of his counselor with me. I looked at him and I said, dude, I'm, I'm successful. I, everything, like, I don't need a counselor, do I? And he laughed and he goes, Danny, you know where I am. You know my success, you know my profession, you know my marriage, I need a counselor because there's just some things we can't mentally deal with and there's something there that you need to talk to someone who is more professionally trained than I am. I sat on it for a week 
um, just weighing pros and cons until I finally woke up one morning and I just had had enough. And I texted Naomi that morning and said, hey, a friend gave me your number, recommended you highly. I don't know how to do this. Can I make an appointment? Uh, She texted back and called. We set an appointment for the following week. One thing I would recommend to everybody I talk to from this point forward, no matter where you are in life, no matter how much you think you've got your life together, everybody needs a counselor. Everybody needs a therapist. However you want to word it, they are life-changing. And no amount of Casey's or friends can replace that trained professional that doesn't know who you are. Correct. And just allows you to speak who you are and then allows them to process that. 100%. They don't don't have the baggage. They They don't have the history. They can't tell you things you want to hear because they don't know all of the things that make you tick when you first meet them. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So those that are listening, the interesting thing about this, uh, this podcast is it's roughly two years in the making. Yes, sir. When we had originally sat down to, to do this and wrote out everything that we were going to discuss, uh, you know, life kind of happened. Things changed quickly and we had to regroup and we're finally two years later getting an opportunity to sit down. So some of the questions that I'm asking here will have a little different response than they did, than they would have two years ago. So the one that I'm going to ask here, Danny, is uh, in, in your role, nine years in your role, you had become highly successful. You had built a, a strong network. You were a, a networking aficionado. <laughs> uh, did you feel like there could be any impact to that person? You had mentioned how ingrained the job was to Danny rather than who Danny was. Did you, did you have that realization that that Danny might be changing? I wish I could say I was smart enough to have that early on, but I did not until it was probably three or four months in at the new gig at Iron Horse when I realized why I felt the way I felt, that there was a piece of me that had gone missing once I left cable, once I left that profession, once I left that vice president title. We always say titles don't mean anything. A lot of people say it. Um, I still truly believe it, but there was a piece of me that was gone that I wasn't anticipating on losing or leaving when I switched professions. Um, Took a long time and a lot of phone calls, a lot of coffees, a lot of conversations for me to get back in a place where I felt comfortable, not only professionally, but personally with who I was again. Mm. How much do you attribute to those coffees compared to your... uh, the, the counseling that you were also jumping into. Oh, they went, they went hand, hand in hand. hand. Yeah, because one thing Naomi made me realize is the sheer amount of stress I was putting on myself by not being quote unquote busy. She has helped me learn that it's okay to not have a full schedule that it's okay to relax, that it's okay to take your foot off the gas pedal at certain points. 
that this culture that you see on social media, that we see on the news, that you hear about on Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, we're all infatuated right now with the billionaires, with the people who are uber successful and their studies and there's reports and there's articles about what they do with their time. How did they become so successful? You can define success in a number of different ways. And I don't know that I was ever defined by financial success more than I was on personal relationships and the good that I was able to do for someone else. Mm -hmm. But so much of society is based solely on financial success. It's hard for people to take a step back and realize, hey, having a family that loves me, having a family that's spiritually okay is just as much a success factor as how many commas are in my bank account. And you are a financial planner. 100 <laughs> percent okay <clears throat> okay that, i'm a weird weird you know that planner. but that's really fascinating though so you are you have your version your vision of success what success is for you and it's not necessarily tied to finances finances are a part of who we are but it's not tied to your vision of success so when you're working with people now on their finances, how do you help them to to recognize what their success looks like? The the biggest question that people have, and it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, it doesn't matter if you have seven dollars, is am I on track or am I going to be okay to retire? That's the number one question, and everybody who comes in my office thinks they're behind doesn't matter where they are in the spectrum, they're behind in their mind. Money is just one piece, a very small piece of the puzzle to that success. Uh, one of my favorite clients, uh, they have managed to save about $200,000. Um, they are going to retire probably in the next five to 10 years, but their entire goal for retirement is to buy a VW van and travel the country. They, they don't want to stay in ritzy hotels, they want to go to national parks, they want to buy the the lifetime membership so they don't have to pay every new park they go to. And we ran the numbers and that 200,000 is going to serve them well because that's their dream and that's who they are and what they're striving for. I said it once, money's just a tool. Uh, do, do we need it at certain points, of course, that's kind of what our entire society and economy has been built upon. But we have harder conversations like, do you want to travel the world or do you want to be close to your family? Because those two things cost very different sums of money. Um, and being able to meet people where they are versus putting them in a box that makes it easy for me to run a projection and say you're ahead or you're behind is truly what makes this job fulfilling for me. I love that. And this is coming from an individual who had a very stable career and was building toward retirement and decided to leave that for, again, that, that two-year sink or swim, let's make it, let's make it work. Yep. So... Testament to you and your your ability to live out that uh, that philosophy uh, very clearly. You, you you chose to do that, so 
good on you, Danny, for, for making that decision. Uh, since making the decision that you did, and this is where it's going to get kind of fun because we're seeing much more of Danny now than we would have two years ago to record this. Now that you have made that decision and you have moved forward and you have become partner and there are several other life things that I hope you'll talk about in this that have happened, would you consider that you have struggled or that you have flourished with the decision that you made? So I'll do it in kind of two parts, the two years ago when we would have done this and today. Uh, because two years ago, I would have told you that I was flourishing on the outside, but struggling on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, simply because at that point, I had been meeting with Naomi for a little more than a year. Um, I told her on our very first meeting, I didn't want medicated. The whole reason I was meeting with her was to not go on any kind of drug. She said, I appreciate that. We'll work through it. I'll keep that in the back of my mind as we go through these sessions. We worked through, and again, given the timing of when I met her and how life happened, more and more success came. She kept, every time we'd get together, every three weeks or so, she'd remind me of the success I was seeing compared to where I was even that three weeks prior or the six months prior at certain points or close to the year prior. I finally, in the December time frame of... Uh, 2019 is when I went into her office and I just felt totally defeated. And I said, Naomi, I'm ready. I need medicated. This is not something that self-talk, that reading, that all of the tools you have given me throughout the past year, this is not something that I am able to solve on my own. Uh, she asked me a couple more questions, uh, brought to light that I do have physical anxiety more than anything else, that I don't have to have good or bad things happening in my life, my body and the way my my brain is wired, it just happens. So she wrote me a prescription, started on it. She said, you know, this is going to take three months or so for everything to start clicking. And then you'll, you'll start noticing some vast improvements. And she was right. Um, at that point in time, about that three month ish timeframe, everything kind of leveled out and I no longer had the lows. Um, I was still able to experience, I would say, 90% of the highs, but yes, the highs were not as high as they had been unmedicated. Is it worth it? 100%. Am I still on the Lexapro today? 100%. Even though, fast forward two years, like you said, I am a partner, more and more great things have happened and gone the right way in my life. Um, I don't know that I'll ever get off of it because it has made such a difference in the clarity of thought in the true self-talk versus what I had been telling myself prior um, in relationships, uh, in my profession, in my personal life. Um, so I will sing again the praises of a good counselor, therapist, and someone who understands who you are as a person to help you make those next decisions. And that's well said because we don't want to, we don't want to necessarily say that you know, medication is the way or Correct. counseling alone is the way. There are so many things that will be individualized for every person, but it's taking that leap of faith, yep. of finding that right person, and of allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a space with perhaps a complete stranger in a, a great therapist, a, a great person that you can talk to. If decisions lead whatever direction they do, then that is wonderful for you as the individual. For, for Danny, as you're sharing, that was 
the right path for you and that was that's perfect uh, so that's that's really what I want to make sure to make very clear it is very individualized but it's taking that leap of faith yes yep. to allow yourself to to make the right decisions for you now fast forward to two years later Justin life's awesome <laughs> um, still family's healthy um, the girls are great Casey's fabulous uh, we've come out of a crazy pandemic. Um, things are going to back to some sort of normal, whatever this new stage looks like. But I can say, and I hope listeners, I hope you personally have felt this too, but there was a lot of through the pandemic, a reorganization, a reshuffling of priorities. And I have found more and more of my friends, my loved ones, my family are currently in better places than they were at the end of 2019 with how they're making decisions, what they're prioritizing over other things. Um, yeah, life life is going really well. And you made a monumental decision to move to a small town. Yes, sir. And not only move to a small town, but become the mayor of that small town. <laughs> I don't know that that was a decision. That might have been thrust upon me. <laughs> okay. So, so what, what, what I'm getting at, uh, listener, is the one decision that, that Danny made to leave a stable nine-year career to change tracks pretty remarkably has now led, because he has allowed it to do so, has now led to some pretty incredible things. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the the small town that you moved to and how you are where you are today? <laughs> I'd love to. Um, it all comes down to, to taking chances. So uh, the quick story on that, my wife and I were getting ready uh, to enroll our youngest in kindergarten. We lived in the West Des Moines, Waukee area at the time. And her class was slotted to be somewhere around 1,100 students. I grew up in a small town, Monroe, Iowa. My graduating class was 90. I saw that 1,100 and realized that's almost half the size of the town I grew up in. And I just asked my wife a very transparent, vulnerable question. Um, do we have to keep the girls in this district. Can we look at moving to a smaller town and would you be comfortable in a smaller town? Uh, she said, hey, I'm down to check it out, but we're going to look at Adele, we're going to look at Van Meter, and we're going to look at Dallas Center. Those are the three towns if we are moving. Uh, the creepy Facebook goblins heard our conversation and about an hour later that night while I was scrolling, a house came up for sale in Dallas Center. Um, that old 1872 Victorian that had been meticulously cared for. I showed it to her and she said, yeah, let's go look at it. We looked at it that Saturday. We put in an offer that Sunday and we moved to Dallas Center <laughs> shortly thereafter. Um, when I went in to get water turned on to talk to the city clerk, I saw an opening on her uh, desk that said that they were looking for individuals to volunteer for Parks and Rec and for their planning and zoning boards. 
Uh, previous to that time, I had been serving on the West Des Moines Chamber. I had been interested in getting more involved with the West Des Moines community, but just hadn't pulled the trigger yet due to conflict of interest stuff. And so I asked Cindy, hey, I'm interested in these. Um, can you tell me what they're looking for if I would be um, someone that they would consider? Uh, she smiled, asked me a couple of questions as we were wrapping up. She said, hey, those two are both open. You would be great for those, but we also have an opportunity on city council, and I think you would be great for that. I laughed in her face. I said, Cindy, I've been here literally 72 hours. Um, I don't think that I'm set for city council. And she goes, that's fine, but I want to encourage you to talk to our mayor and see what he has to say. And she gave me Daniel Wilrick's phone number. I called Daniel because why not? <laughs> the worst he could say is, hey, I'll put you on P&Z. The best he could say is, yeah, you should be on city council. He said the second part, yeah, you should be on city council. So put in an application to be appointed. And in September, after moving to Dallas Center in July, I was appointed to city council. A whole 60 days of being in the community at that point. I ran that November and got elected to a four-year term, uh, served that term. And to your point about being mayor, the newer mayor decided he was not going to run for another term this last cycle and asked if I would be interested in running. I told him no. He told me please. Um, and due to some circumstances of who else was considering running, I said, okay, I'll give it a shot and was elected as mayor in January of 2022. So my first year is under my belt and the city's still standing, <laughs> which is a positive. So when we talk a lot to our career folks, like historically, that, that was my job prior to the job I have now was helping people with career change. What in your life helped you to be prepared for that three month to then obviously your first uh, up to mayor time in a small town that would probably feel like a whirlwind? How were you able to manage that because of everything that, you, the, that led you there? I would say the biggest point was just the fact that I never stopped learning. As soon as it was brought to my attention, as soon as Daniel said, yes, I think you should put in for this position for council, um, I reached out to all of the previous or all of the current sitting council members and had individual coffees with them. I reached out to Cindy, the at the time, a city clerk. I reached out to our public works director. I reached out to the city attorney. I talked to everybody I could who would give me five minutes to five hours of their time to learn about what this actually meant and what this obligation was. Found out there were additional resources online through the Iowa League of Cities. Found out that there were other places that I could go to learn more about what's the difference between a resolution and an ordinance. Are meetings run with Robert's Rules of Order or are there other things you have to pay attention to? How does a city budget work when it's not done on a calendar year, it's done on a fiscal year? Um, I now know more about water treatment than I ever thought that <laughs> I would. Uh, but it was all because people gave their time and their energy uh, because it goes back to a core belief of mine. People do want to help other people be successful. The only way that you can have people help you is to tell them what you want or ask them for the help that you need. Uh, so it took a lot of a lot of time, a lot of conversations. And in your book, 
uh, the ties that bind, networking with style, and in many talks that I've heard from you, you mentioned that coffee is a verb. <laughs> um, can can you explain that? Because I know we hear we hear folks talk about, well, let's go to a coffee. Like, yeah. coffee being a verb, what, what is describe that for us? So I say let's grab coffee or let's have a coffee meeting or let's get coffee. Uh, I don't necessarily mean we're going to get coffee. It's more of, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's get together and have a chat. Uh, I say coffee because it's universally accepted as a non-confrontational, less professional setting. Um, If I said, hey, Justin, I want you to come to my office because I want to have a conversation with you, your brain is going to think, Danny wants to talk to me about finances. Danny wants to pitch me. Danny wants to come in and, and have me give him information about my financial situation or something along those lines. If I say, Justin, let's go to Smoky Row and grab a cup of coffee. Um, now I may still have all those intentions. That may be what I am going there for, but it is a much more lighthearted experience. It is a much more personal setting. Uh, business can still happen there if it feels appropriate, but it truly is about the connection, the conversation, the communication more than it is about even just having a cup of coffee with someone else. If you were to be in a moment with that Danny at Hy-Vee, what would you tell that Danny when he was in the mode of making the decision to leave with nothing? I would probably laugh and say, dude, you're doing this once, but you're going to do it so many more times <laughs> and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> if, if I'm being honest, that um, I don't often advocate and I don't tell people, hey, make sure you have something else lined up before you go for another job. Obviously, that's the best practice. But again, depending on where you are mentally, that's not a requirement. I love that. Danny, at the end of your article, you said, don't wait until it's too late. And if you don't know where to turn, send me a message. I'm more than happy to help. So first, what encouragement will you give to those that are listening in with similar experiences to yours, or they are right in that moment of, I just, I can't, I cannot be here anymore. And then how can they connect with you to pick your brain and network some more and have a coffee? And have a coffee. The advice or the, I guess, the conversation that I would have with anybody who is in that moment, uh, whether it's, oh my God, I can't go on anymore. I'm so overwhelmed. There's too much bad stuff. There's too many things in my life that I'm never going to be able to get this all under control. Uh, Is you can do it. You just have to take that first baby step. It goes back to, I don't know who wrote the article. I don't know where I first heard it, but... um, someone had told me that they were going to a counselor and they were depressed and they had dirty dishes in their sink and they just felt too exhausted to do the dishes. And the counselor said, can you do one? Can you wash one dish? I would say the same thing to those struggling right now. Can you send one text? Can you send make one call? Uh, my cell phone's 515-918-0656. If you text me and say, I need help and someone to talk to, 
I will get back to you. I know Justin would do the same at the drop of a hat. Um, There are people who care about you. There are people who want you to be okay. And it's not admitting failure or defeat by asking for help. Because we all probably need it more than we've ever needed it before. Send that message. Send that text. Make that phone call. Um, Personal email is danny at dannybuyer.com. Naomi may not be the right person for you. I have sent people her way and they've just said, no, it wasn't a good personality fit, but she has helped them find the right fit. Um, If you are not comfortable reaching out to me, to Justin, to any of your friends and family, get on Google and do a quick search uh, because there are many, many counselors throughout the metro, throughout the state, throughout the country who are willing to help. Download the digital app that lets you talk to someone through your phone in less than, I think it's 30 seconds if you need it. Uh, There are so many avenues and so many resources. Unfortunately, you have to be the one to make that choice though and make that decision. I can't force that any more than I can force my kid to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when she wants macaroni and cheese. Uh, You have to take that step. Nice visual. (laughs) Local author, again, if you can, Pick up his book. There is now a second edition. Yes, sir. Comes out Uh, in March. Very good. Of The Ties That Bind, Networking with Style. Mayor Danny Beyer and uh, financial planner for Iron Horse Wealth Management. Danny, thank you so much for joining us on Facing Tomorrow and allowing us to hear your story and know that you have been able to move through and you encourage others to do the same. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate it.